0: All right, our text this morning is Numbers 22, and we're going to go through three chapters this morning, but not reading them, and just talking about these three chapters uh, this morning. And it's really one incident in the life of the people of Israel as they come up uh, out of Egypt and uh, on their journey to the promised land. And up until this point, we've been looking at the people themselves because the problems they've had they have created themselves Uh, but at this point uh, just a a little bit in chapter 21 they're now facing some opposition from without if you remember last week we talked about just briefly because it wasn't the issue but uh, as they have come up to the east of the Jordan River just maybe north of the Dead Sea and they are now preparing to go into the land uh, after 38 years of wandering in the wilderness because 38 years before they had come up to the south and were prepared to go in and uh, decided that they didn't trust God. And uh, so now in that ensuing 38 years, all the people between that came out of Egypt between the age of 20 and 60 have passed away. And uh, now they're here and preparing to go in. You remember, Miriam passed away. Aaron has passed away, and uh, now uh, they're being—they're um, meeting opposition. Uh, They've already uh, defeated two. When we talk about nations, and we're talking really about tribal nations, they'd already defeated two that attacked them, and uh, now they're coming up to the land of Moab and preparing to go in, and that's where we are. When we get to chapter 22. So read with me then the first six verses. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak the son of Zippor saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because they were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the ox, licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pehor, which is near the river, that's the Euphrates, in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come up from Egypt. See, they covered the face of the earth and are sitting next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are, they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and him, him who you curse is cursed. I want to say a couple of things the people in this area knew about the nation of Israel. You remember, we read here, they're across the river from Jericho. In just a a few weeks or so, uh, months maybe, they're going to send spies into Jericho uh, in preparation to going into the land. And you remember, and we'll get to that, but you remember when they spoke to Rahab and she hid them, you remember what she said? She said, we've heard what your God has done on your behalf and, when, and, and what you've done to those nations that they've just defeated and now they're going to defeat these Moabites. And, and she said, our heart melted within us. When we heard what God has done, uh, our heart melted. So I want to say a couple of things. These people knew about Israel. Uh, they knew about them coming out of Egypt. They knew they were in the vicinity. Uh, they knew that they were people of the, 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 the God, we, the God we believe. Uh, and I remember these the people around them they were dealing with, with were idolaters. And they didn't believe in the one true God, but they knew of Him. And so when when we're talking about what happens to the nations, I've I, I mentioned this to you briefly before, but when we're talking about what's going to happen to these nations, I want you to remember, you go all the way back, and God told Abraham... Uh, 450 years prior to this, God told Abraham that your people are going to be in Egypt because the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full. The iniquity of these people who dwell in the land is not yet full. So God gave them 400 years for to repent, and they haven't repented. They're idolatrous. And idolatry destroys a nation. We're in that process. That's just my opinion, by the way. And uh, So what happens is that... When uh, I, I, don't know how to, I don't know how to say what's in my mind, that, but what happens is that when, when God brings judgment upon these people and they literally destroy their culture, I, I don't want to say they're doing the world a favor, because that sounds callous, doesn't it? I don't want to say that, but it's justified, is what I want to say. God is, God is justified in doing that. They have sinned against Him, they've rejected Him, uh, and he uh, is justified in judging them and using the nation of Israel but these people knew about Israel they knew about this group of people who have come up and they were worried they were worried about them so here Balak sends to get Balaam I hope I keep those names straight if I don't you know who I'm talking about so he sends to get Balaam and because he believed that Balaam had some spiritual power Now, the first thing I want to address, you're familiar with this story. The first thing I want to address was Balaam, a believer in the one true God. Um, The opinions of the commentators are diverse. I don't believe he was. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit came upon people to to, uh, do the work of the Lord uh, and to be an instrument in the Lord's hand. The Holy Spirit came upon people but didn't indwell them. Okay, we're, we who believe under the New Covenant, we're dwelt by the Holy Spirit. We are sealed in the hand of God by the Holy Spirit, and so we are His children. It wasn't so in the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit came upon them. You remember Saul, when the first king of Israel, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he prophesied. But many people don't believe Saul was ever, what we would say, saved, that he ever... Uh, really had faith in the one true God, knew of him, responded to him. That's my opinion of Balaam, and I want to tell you why. I want to give you some scripture that's not going to be on here, but I'm just going to tell you about 2 Peter 2.15. Peter writes that Balaam loved the wages of wickedness. Okay, if you love the wages of wickedness, it would be hard to be, what we would say, saved. Jude talks about those who have, quote, rushed for profit into Balaam's error. And Revelation 2.14 talks about the evil counsel of Balaam, quote, who taught Balaam to entice the Israelis to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Numbers 31, verse 16 says that Moses says, These women of Moab, where we are today, caused the children of Israel through the counsel of Balaam to trespass against the Lord in the incident of Peor. So I think when you look at that biblical evidence, I think Balaam was used to the Lord, but I don't think he was a prophet of the Lord. I don't think he was a person of faith, is what I would say. Um, So the people who blessed were blessed, and the people who cursed were cursed, and evidently that was true. That's what it says about him. Uh, So where did that power come from? We're not sure. But I I, want to just give you a, a couple of other things. Uh, to think about. Um, Balaam, Balak, the king of Moab, he, he knew that he couldn't defeat these people and he knew it was a spiritual battle. So he wanted some spiritual help. He, he wanted the supernatural forces to help him. He wanted these people to be cursed. And idolaters believe in that. They, so they, he, he wanted them to be cursed of their God And so that he wouldn't be able to defeat them in in battle. So remember that. So Balaam is going to be approached by Balak. And since you're familiar with the story, we're not going to read the story. I'm just going to tell you and remind you uh, uh, about the story to to some degree. So men come from... uh, One other thing I want to say to you, I just glanced at my notes. When you you go to Deuteronomy, you're going to find that in Deuteronomy chapter 2 and verse 9, God had told Israel, God had told Moses not to touch Moab. So they were going to be attacked anyway. Now, Balak didn't know that because he didn't know God. And we didn't know that because we hadn't got to Deuteronomy yet. But God knew that and he had told Moses that prior. Deuteronomy is a retelling of the history. And God had told Moses, don't attack Moab. They were in no danger at all. Isn't that interesting? You know what? Okay, here's my preacher advice. Most of the things we worry about never happen. Are you aware of that? We worry about lots of things. I I can remember uh, we worried about the Russians coming 60 years ago. And they may still be coming, but they hadn't come yet. And, and so if you've been worried for the last 60 years, remember they, you remember they used to teach us to get under our desk in case we had a nuclear attack. So that's good advice. That's good advice, isn't it? So, so. I, hope, I, don't, I hope we don't have to do that. If I got under the desk, I could never get out. So it would never never work. So here's, here's what happens. Balat, the king, he sends he sends uh, emissaries to Balaam with an offering and said, Why don't you come and curse these people? And Balaam says, uh, let me talk to God about that. So he knew God. I think he I, I think he uh, God was in his bag of tricks. So I, I so he just said, I'm gonna see if we can do that. He may have actually been a prophet of God. Uh, So anyway, he just said, I'm going to talk to God about it. And here's what God said down in verse 12 uh, in this first go-around. God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. Very straightforward. God said, number one, you can't go. Number two, you're not going to curse them because they're blessed. So then what happens? The men go back to tell the king of Moab, he sends More important men and more offering. And they come back to Balaam the second time. And uh, Balaam says, you know, if you gave me all the gold in your house, I couldn't do that. But spend the night and I'll see what God has to say. Okay, so he, he is tempted. He wants to go. That's my opinion. He wants to go. I think we get that from the text. He wants to go because he wants the offering. Remember, that's what we read in this commentary. He loved the wages of wickedness. So, these people were already blessed, but he wanted to go curse them to get paid for it. That's what we read in 2 Peter. And so, they, they spent the night, and uh, God said this to him, read in verse 20. Uh, when, when Balaam goes and speaks to the Lord, in verse 20, God came to Balaam at night and said to him, If the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. God will let us have our way if we persist. Are you aware of that? Uh, At some point in time, if you're hard-headed and you don't respond to the signs uh, that God gives us through His Word, you don't respond to His Word, I should say, God will let us have our way. And uh, the judgment will follow that, but He lets us have our way. That's what we've been reading about the whole nation of Israel. Again, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that there are... What they went through are examples to us upon, upon whom the end of the age have come. We need to read about what these people did and didn't do and say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to be that type of Christian. I'm going to trust God more than they did. I'm not going to let the flesh or the world draw me away like these people did and, and dishonor God and face judgment because of it. And so we need to learn that. Balaam had not learned that. Balaam loved the wages of wickedness. So God tells him to go. Now you know the story. Here's here's the story we've heard all of our Christian life. So he saddles his donkey. He starts on the way. And uh, the angel of the Lord stands in the way with a sword drawn. This may be a pre-incarnate Christ. Maybe, maybe not. But he stands in the way with a sword drawn, and the donkey sees him. You, again, How many, you know the story, do you not? The donkey sees him, and the donkey turns out of the way. Balaam hits the donkey, turns him back in the road, the angel standing in another narrow place, and the donkey scoots up against the wall, I guess, or the cliff, or whatever it is, and he crushes Balaam's foot, and Balaam beats the donkey again, and then uh, they come to a place that the angel's standing there, and the donkey can't go forward, so he lays down. And Balaam beats the donkey again, and then God opens the mouth of the donkey. And this is, we love this story. Don't you love this story? God opens the mouth of the donkey, and, and sometimes that's our preachers. And uh, he, he speaks to us, including us. You know, he's, and so the donkey speaks and said, why are you beating me? Stupid, and and he's and and, he, and so anyway he and he said haven't I always been your donkey haven't I always done right and then God opened his eyes and he sees the Balaam sees the angel uh, of the of the Lord there so uh, here's the interchange between them verse thirty one of this chapter then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. Then the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you, because your way is perverse before me. I wanted to stop there and think about Okay, God told him you can go, but now he's standing before him and saying, I might just slay you. Okay, so you think, okay, another little contradiction. I want you to remember back... Okay, back when we started, Moses is called to come out of the desert and go lead the people of Israel out. And you remember he's on the way, and the Lord met him to kill him because what? You remember? Because he had not circumcised his boys. And so Moses is the instrument of God being used. God's called him, but Moses is not doing it God's way, he's not obeying what he knew. As a covenant sign of the people of God, he hadn't obeyed that for some reason. Maybe his wife didn't want to because she wasn't of the people of God at that point. I, we don't know. But so there's no, there's really no contradiction here. Is that I, I, you and I can love the Lord, we can trust the Lord, but when we dishonor Him, we're going to face chastisement. Now, and, and under the new covenant, it's, it's not necessarily God's going to take our life, but He's going to chastise us. Uh, and we read that in Hebrews, that uh, every son that he receives, he chastens. But there is a sin unto death for a Christian. And at some point in time, if I'm continually in my rebellion, God will bring me home. And so don't think that he can't do that or, or won't do that. So there, I don't think there's any contradiction here. So the, this angel meets him, and uh, so the angel then responds, go back to where we were in the text, Um, he said, your ways are perverse before me. Now, what is his way? It's not the direction he's going, but the purpose in his heart, isn't it? It, It's the the purpose in his heart. That's what's perverse before the Lord. He's not going to bless these people. He's going to curse these people, the people of God. And, And God said that's perverse. When I've already told you, that they're blessed people. So I want you to understand that. And then, we read this, um, verse 33, The donkey saw me turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you by now and let her live. So Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way before me. Now therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. So now he is going. And then here is the gist of the message. All the years that I have heard this and have heard it preached and taught and even used it myself, you know, started out in children's ministry and used it in children's ministry. And all we ever talked about was the donkey and Balaam. And the, 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 the gist of this passage is what Balaam is going to do now. He goes and he blesses these people. And Balaam, he wants to curse them. And Balaam takes him up in, a, in a, a mountain range above or cliffs above and they look out upon the camp and he wants him to curse them. And so he gives these oracles. And an oracle is simply a, 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 not necessarily a prophecy about what's going to happen in the future, but it's a proclamation from God through a person. So he gives these oracles. And, and this is the gift of the lesson this morning. What these oracles are. Because it's so instructional for us. When we read this. And so go to chapter 23. And we're going to read the first one. And we're going to go to verse 7. So all the details are taking place. Uh, Balak's in place. And he has Balaam in place. And verse, uh, what did I say? Verse 7 um, and he took up his oracle and said, Balak the king of Moab has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east, come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse? Now listen, he's speaking under the Lord's Holy Spirit. He, he's speaking what God has said, that these are the things the angel of the Lord told him in the way, you're going to speak what I say to you. So these, this is not coming from Balaam, this is coming from the Lord. How shall I curse, verse 8, whom God has not cursed, how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? For from the top of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. They're a people dwelling alone. Now dwelling alone doesn't mean that there are not other people in the area or the nation, but dwelling alone means they have been separated. Okay? They've been separated. Holy means set apart. So they've been set apart forgot verse 10 who can count the dust of Jacob or number or number one-fourth of Israel let me die the death of the righteous and let my end be like his you know what he's saying he's saying I see the sovereignty of God in electing these people when, when you read about the nation of Israel God didn't elect them you can read this in Deuteronomy I didn't put the verse down but God, God basically said, I didn't choose you because you're a great mighty people. I chose Abraham and I made you into a people. Now, why? why? In God's sovereignty, why did he pick this one nation above the other nations? He wanted them to be a people separated unto himself to tell the nations of the world about the one true God and about his son, the Savior. He wanted to prepare the world for the coming of Jesus Christ. And the nation of Israel is like us. They were more concerned about their own personal lives and their own happiness, their own comfort, their own well-being, their own success, their own prosperity, that they didn't care about the nations. They didn't care about the nations. They didn't care about the other people. In fact, they didn't even like them. And they simply wanted to be blessed themselves. But God chose them, made them into a people not because of their worthiness, but because of his plan. And you know, when we come to the new covenant, again, I want to preach to you, when you come to the new covenant, that's us. God didn't choose us because of our worthiness, he didn't choose us because of our goodness. Romans 5 8 while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if he hadn't, if he had waited till we weren't sinners, it would have never happened because we could never take care of our own sin. We could never do that. We could never propitiate our own sin. It had to be the mercy and grace of God. And so God did for Israel exactly what he did for us. He didn't look at them and their sinful. And in these last few years we go through they were sinful people. Were they not? They were selfish and self-centered. They were ungrateful. Uh they murmured, they 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 lied, they you, you know the I mean, you can't, you can't name what they didn't do. They got involved in sexual immorality. They're just, I mean, they're just a people who are like us. They gave in to the lust of the flesh. And, and God, uh, he didn't destroy them totally because they're his people. He chose them. He elected them through grace and, and, and mercy. So that's what we read in this first oracle is that God chose these people. Now, um, interesting, Balaam confessed he wanted to die righteous. He wasn't interested in living righteous, but he wanted to die righteous. Uh, people I meet and witness to when I have opportunity, that's what they want. Uh, you know, I, I talked to a man not long ago, told me he had gone to the hospital the night before, and uh, he said that I thought I, was having a, I thought I was having a heart attack, and they determined he had indigestion when he got there, and sometimes we feel like that. And so he, anyway, I said, well, what would have happened to you had you died? And he said, uh, well, I guess they'd bury me. <laughs> he's, a, he's a guy who lives by himself. He's on, he's one, on one of the mills or wheels routes. And so he's, uh, one day Donna was with me and he said, yo, oh, come here and look at this. And so we go to his house and he had painted his bedroom. What color green? Hunter green. I mean, it was or bright green. I mean, the, the bedroom bright green. He said, How do you like that? And I put my hand on Donna and said, Don't tell the truth. Don't, <laughs> don't tell her how you like that. So I told him, he said, I looks pretty good. You know, nice and nice and bright. So and, okay, where were we now? But but so he was telling me, he said, I don't I don't know. I said, Well well, let me let me tell you what the Bible says. You know, the Bible says that uh, if you trust in Christ, we're all sinners, you trust in Christ. Anyway, I witnessed to him and he said you know, I've never heard that. He, 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 he was raised with religion. He wanted to go to heaven when he died. Had no idea of how, that, how you do that. He, he thought like I thought when I grew up. You're good to be weighed against your bad. And, and so what we do when you're thinking that way, what you do is you weigh your good against your bad. In fact, I'm coming out on the winning side because you're bad and I'm not that bad. And so uh, that's what we do. So anyway, this is, this is what Balaam this, this is what Balaam's doing. He knows about God. He's being used of God, but he's not responding to God from his heart. So then we come to the second oracle that he gives. And it begins in verse 19. The first one, didn't, he didn't curse the people, so Balaam takes him to another place. Uh, and then in verse 19, this is what he says. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. For, as he said, and will he not do? Excuse me. He's speaking of God's character. Now, if you recognize this, God is unchangeable. He is immutable. He, doesn't, he never changes. This is great theology that Bedeck has given. And he doesn't even know it, probably. God is not a man that He should lie. He's not a son of man that He should repent. For He said, and, and will He not do, or has He spoken, and will He not make it good? Then another part of his character, Behold, I received a commandment to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. So, that is the character of God. And then He speaks of Israel's righteousness. Verse 21. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. And I just talked about that a minute ago. These people were sinful. Were they not? I'm sinful. You're sinful. Now, but yet, when he says that he has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel, what he's saying is that they are under the blood of the sacrifice. When that high priest goes into the Holy of Holies once a year, as we've studied that, when he goes in there and he offers the blood of that lamb on the mercy seat, their sin is propitiated. Their sin is covered, and the wrath of God is taken away from them. It's true with us. When God looks at you, He sees the righteousness of Christ. It's been imputed to us not because we're worthy, not because we didn't sin or we stopped sinning when we trusted in Christ, and not, not because of that, but because God's mercy is imputed to us, His Christ's righteousness is imputed to us. Now let me say to you once again, and I say this from time to time, if you, if you can acknowledge that, you, you won't be laden down with guilt as much as we are. Now, if I sin willingly, I should be guilty. I should feel guilty. I should, I should feel remorse. Uh, I should feel fear for my, for my sin. But if, I'm just, if I give in to the weakness of the flesh, and, and I, I sin, and what, what did we read a few weeks ago? Ininten- unintentionally. Remember, there's a sacrifice for unintentional sin. Um, unintentional sin is not what you, what, what you try to tell your spouse. Well, I didn't mean that. You know, when you say that I didn't, well, I didn't mean that. Well, your voice meant that. Your tone of voice meant that. You know, but so your spirit meant that, regardless of what your mouth said. But so you understand. But if we we just we we live in the weakness of the flesh. Remember, Paul said, Romans seven. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? I'm carrying around this body of death. And this body of death. It wants to destroy my relationship. It wants to destroy my relationship with God, with my spouse, with my family, with you. This body of death wants me to be proud and arrogant and boastful and lustful, and it wants me to, to, to live however I please and to dishonor God. But you know what? When God looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Not because, again, I'm worthy, but because of his grace. And that's what we're reading here. Isn't that wonderful? God's unchangeable. Grace has never changed. It's in the Old Testament. It's here with these people. It's with us us today. Okay, where are we? Verse 21. Nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him and the shout of a king is among them. Who might that be? The shout of a king is among them. God has a plan. He's working out His plan. And it's going to work out good one day. There's a shout of a king. Verse 22, God brings them out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. For there is no sorcery against Jacob nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. You remember you come again to Paul's writings and Paul said and chapter 9 that he has this heart for his people. And you remember what he says about them? These are, the, these are the people Paul is saying. these are the people who they're not in belief, but these are the people to whom was given the, the I, let me see if I can remember given the covenant, uh, given the, the sacrifices, given the blessing. these are the people of God. Paul's saying about the Jewish nation. These are the people of God. These are the people that God used. These are the fathers. These are the ones who brought the gospel down to us. These are the ones who gave us the word of God. These are the ones who gave us the principles of God and the purposes of God. These are the ones who paid that high price and brought it down to us. And Paul's grieved that now they don't believe in Christ, who's the fulfillment of all those things. It's a wonderful thing what God has done. We owe a debt of gratitude to the Jewish people. Now, I'm not talking about to the Jewish nation that exists today. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about what God has done. We stand on their shoulders. Do You understand that? Uh, we, we, we're here today. We believe what we believe because they gave us a history and gave us uh, a truth from God that we can say, My faith is founded upon fact. Okay, my faith, it's still faith, but it's founded upon facts. It's founded upon historical happenings. And so my faith is secure in what I believe. So, of Israel, oh, what God has done. Verse 24, look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down again until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. I can imagine old Balak standing over here, the king of Moab, but he's hearing Balaam say this and say, they're going to rise like a lion and they're going to drink the blood of their prey. And he's thinking, what am I paying you for? Well, that's really what he does. Verse 25. It's not on the screen because I didn't give it to David. Then Balak said to Balaam, neither curse them at all nor blessed them at all. So Balaam answered and said to Balak, did I not tell you, saying all that the Lord speaks, I must do? So now we come to the next one. Let me find my place here. We come to the next oracle, and it begins in chapter 24, verse 1, and it reveals something now about, about Balaam. Now when Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek to use sorcery, but he set his face toward the wilderness. Okay. What we read there is that up until this point, Balaam had been using sorcery. He has been seeking to use sorcery. Now why is he using sorcery? He wanted the reward of wickedness. So he's, he's using whatever power he has, sorcery, whatever power to fool Bala that he might get paid to do this. So now we know, we see the truth about him. And then he speaks again, verse 2, he raised his eyes, saw Israel encamped according to the tribes and the Spirit of God came upon him and he took up his oracle and said, beginning in verse 3, and we read this, The utterance of Balaam, the son of Beor, the utterance of the man whose eyes are opened, the utterance of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob, your, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens by the riverside, like aloes planted by the Lord, Like cedars beside the waters, he shall pour water from his buckets, and his seed shall be in many waters. His king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. When we get into the book of Kings, or if you go into the book of Kings, you read there's a Saul is instructed by Samuel to go down and destroy Agag and the Amalekites. And at this point in time, the Amalekites are the strongest nation around. And, but Agag is a common name for their king. And when we're thinking about kings of nations, we're not talking about the king of England, or you know, but what we're thinking about is that tribal kings. So here are these tribal areas, uh, and, and the Amalekites were one, the Moab was one, uh, that Balak was the king of Moab. And so there's these tribal areas, and the Amalekites were the strongest. And here he's hearing... Balak Balak is hearing Balaam say that the king of Israel is going to be higher than Agag, higher than the most powerful king that they knew about in their region. His kingdom shall be exalted. And then read this in verse 8. God brings him out of Egypt. He has strength like a wild ox. He's talking about the nation now. He shall consume the nations, his enemies. He shall break their bones and pierce them with his arrows. His bows, he bows down. He lies down as a lion and as a lion who shall rouse him. Blessed is he who blesses you and cursed is he who curses you. Remember that was given to Abraham previously that God told Abraham, uh, whoever blesses you will be blessed, whoever curses you will will be cursed. So he's speaking about their future. God's saying, when Balaam looks out and he sees the tents and he sees all this people spread out, and the Lord has him say, these are my people and they have a future. These are my people and the strongest king around here is not going to stand against them. We come to the New Testament and we read that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. That can be interpreted two ways. The common interpretation is that the church is going to prevail one day, and I, and that's kind of split. This this is split. I'm splitting hairs. And the church is not going to prevail. Christ is going to prevail. Christ, who is the head of the church, is going to prevail one day. Christ is going to establish His kingdom one day. We're just going to be with Him. We're we're going to come Revelation 19. I think we're going to come out of heaven on white horses, dressed in white linen, and we're going to come with him when he prevails over the whole earth. And then the other way that I think is maybe a proper interpretation, when the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And, and the, word, the word is sheo, it's, it's, it's death, it's the grave. Uh, one day my body's going to go into the grave, but it's not going to prevail over me. I'm going to come out. I'm going to come out and live eternally. This body is going to live eternally, but without this sin curse. And uh, it's going to live eternally in the presence of Christ. So the grave is not going to prevail over me. It's not going to prevail over the church. The whole church is coming out one day. Now, we know today there are tares among the wheat. It's what Jesus said, Matthew 13, I think. It tears among the wheat. And so today there are... Weeds in the wheat. There are unbelievers in the professing church. They're not going to come out. I mean, they're going to come out of the grave, but not to eternal blessing, and so. But unto judgment. But so this is what he's saying about the nation of Israel. And then we come to another one in the verse sixteen, and actually, I, so verse 15 says he took up his oracle, and verse sixteen. This is the next one. And this is a messiatic. I want you to hear it when we go through. This is about Christ. The utterance of him who hears the words of God, who has the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty, who falls down with eyes wide open. Verse 17, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. Are you recognizing this? A star means the brightness of the glory of God. You might think of the star of Bethlehem, but you think about the star is going to rise. It's capitalized in my New King James Bible. Uh, A hymn is capitalized. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel. Isaiah talks about the scepter will never depart from his hand. Uh, Christ is going to rule He's going to be the glory of God to our world. And he's going to rule our world. He's going to uh, shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the signs of tumult. And Edom shall be a possession. Seir also, his enemies, shall be a possession. While Israel does valiantly out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remnants of the city. When I read that, I think about what Daniel says, and Daniel sees, uh, you remember Nebuchadnezzar sees this image, and it's, it's, this, it's this image of a man, and it is the successive kingdom. When Daniel interprets it, it's the successive kingdoms that are going to take place. It is the Babylonians, and then it's the Greeks. I hope I don't forget anybody. And then it's the Romans, and then it's the Romans divided. That's the two legs. And then there's the toes Remember, and that's going to be what the revived Roman Empire one time, that's going to come to, to in our maybe our time, but the revived Roman Empire. And then you remember he sees uh, a rock that's cut out without hands and it comes and it smites this image. And this is the image of man's kingdom. He smites this image and it fills the world. This rock becomes a mountain and fills, fills the world. When I read that this is what Christ is going to do, his kingdom is going to fill the world one day. You go further in Daniel, and Daniel is given the same vision with different imagery. Daniel sees, see, Nebuchadnezzar sees these successive kingdoms in the glory of man. He sees it as a man, in the glory of man. And he's the head. Well, Daniel sees them, the Lord shows Daniel, they're wild beasts. They're wild beasts, indescribable wild beasts and they're very destructive to each other and they're very destructive to the populations they're very destructive to the people and in the end Christ is going to come and destroy those beasts and his kingdom is going to fill the earth. And here we have this prophecy right when Israel's coming out we we have this prophecy. These nations are going out of Verse 19, out of Jacob, one shall have dominion and destroy the remnants of the city. Verse 20, let me see where I am. Then he looked at Amalek. Okay, okay. From here to the end of the chapter, for these next few verses, what he gives is that he gives some oracles describing the nations around them. And we're not going to really deal with those this morning. But he gives this messianic prophecy. Now, let me talk, let me go back to Balaam once again. You think, okay, how could he, who loves the wages of unrighteousness, of wickedness, how could he proclaim these things? And I want to just, I want to remind you, I jot down a couple things. You remember Jesus said, when he's preparing to enter Jerusalem, he said, the rocks, God can make the rocks worship him if, he, if, if, if these people don't cry out. Remember the Jewish leadership said, make these people stop crying out to you as if, as if you're a king. And he said, if they didn't, the rocks would cry out. The rocks would give me glory. And then I want you to remember also then when Caiaphas and Annas, the high priest, were plotting Jesus' death, Caiaphas makes this statement in John 11. He advised the Jews, and this is a quote, that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. And then John gives this commentary on that statement. Now this he did not say of his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Caiaphas is saying this... Rabble-rouser, Jesus, is creating havoc in our nation and we're going to take care of Him. And it's better that we put Him to death than the nation get destroyed because the, the Romans come in. I'm just paraphrasing. He didn't say all this, but that's what He meant. The Romans are going to come and, just, and take over our nation and take over our leadership if we, if we don't quit, get this rabble-rouser taken care of. And So it's better this one man die for the nation and the whole nation be destroyed. And John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, said that's exactly what's going to happen. That Caiaphas, this unbeliever, anti-God, self-righteous, bigot, is saying, with murder in his heart, we're going to kill him. And, and John says, he's being led by the Holy Spirit to prophesy about Christ. and He doesn't know it. That's what's happened. That's what Balaam's doing. Now, Balaam, we read, gets his eyes open. I think Balaam's recognizing, hmm, there is a God. He is real. And he is, he has this he has this plan. I don't quite understand it, but there's his Majesty and, and there's his glory. I don't think he was. I don't think he was a person of faith. The Holy Spirit. We read the Holy Spirit came upon him, and he prophesied these wonderful things, these powerful things. When I read this in the Old Testament, and I think this is this, this is thousands of years before Christ comes, a thousand years or so before Christ comes, and it's just as true then as it is true now. God's a God of grace. He's a God of mercy. He, he's a God who wants to redeem people if they'll come to Him. If we were to go chapter 31, verse 8, we read that Balaam is killed when Moses sends Israel to battle against the Midianites. So, in the end of this chapter, verse 25, Balaam rose and departed and returned to his place. Balak also went his way. But evidently, Balaam didn't go all the way home. He goes to the Midianites. Now remember, when we started reading this, Balak, the king of Moab, goes to the Midianites and wants to arrange for the children of Israel to be cursed. So Balaam only goes as far as as the Midianites. And there he dies. There he's killed in the battle when Moses sends Israel to battle against the Midianites. I'm going to read to you what James Fawcett Brown said. This commentator, James, James Fawcett Brown, I'm going to read you this paragraph. So sometimes when I read a whole paragraph... You have a tendency to doze off, but listen. This unprincipled man on his dismissal from Balak set out for his home in Mesopotamia, but he remained among the Midianites without proceeding further. He was an object of merited vengeance in the immense slaughter of the Midianites people and the capture of their women, children, and property and the destruction of their places of refuge The severity of a righteous God fell heavily on that base and corrupt race. But more than all others, Balaam deserved and got the just rewards of his deeds. His conduct has been atrociously sinful, considering the knowledge he possessed and the revelation he had received of the will of God. For anyone in his circumstances to attempt defeating the prophecies, he had himself been the organ of uttering and plotting to deprive the children Chosen people of the divine favor and protection was an act of desperate wickedness which no language can adequately characterize. Okay, let me just end end with this. I don't want to be guilty. To to whom much is given, much is required. And we who know Christ... How could we? How could we sin against Him knowingly? How could we do that? How, we need to be warned. That's why. That's why God chastens us to to get us back in the way, to get us going back in the right path. He uh, He 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 does these things on our behalf to help us. And uh, so we need to learn. I I don't want God speaking to me through a donkey. Okay. I don't. I I don't want to be. I don't. Want, but more than anything else. I don't want to meet the angel of the Lord with a sword in his hand. I, I don't want... Here, here's the bottom line. When I'm in my right mind, I don't want to be a disappointment to my Savior. I want to please Him. I want to honor Him. I want to exalt His name with my spirit, my attitude, my words, I, my behavior, my choices, my desires. When I'm in my right mind... <clears throat> Now, if I'm tempted to cheat on the golf course, that's a different story. You know, you, 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 you understand? But we need, to, we need to remember, God's the same, except we're under the covenant of grace, and, and the Holy Spirit indwells us, never to leave us, and when we sin, God still sees us in the righteousness of Christ. Pray with me, and we'll go to church. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, uh, Lord, that you spoke through Balaam, these wonderful prophecies. Lord, we thank you that you've revealed yourself in so many ways to every generation, and Lord, that every generation as we read in Romans 1 has a knowledge of who you are. And Father, when we read uh, about these nations that turn away from you, and uh, the nation of Israel is going to destroy them, uh, we always have a little queasiness in our mind about that, and but yet, Lord, in, in your mercy, uh, you, you act, and uh, Father, in your grace, you're merciful, and we're, we're, we're thankful for that. I, I pray you'd help us to honor you and to trust you and to, Lord, uh, give glory in our faith. We pray in Christ's name for his glory. Amen. Well, see you in church. God bless you.